Hey, I'm Bailey. I'm Michael. And welcome back to Facing the Gates podcast. Um, David is not here because Michael's AC went out and he has to. It was 90 wait degrees the in there. Guy. We cannot survive like that between us, the dogs, the cats, and the tortoise. It's a little yeah. toasty. Yeah. So you'll, you'll get to know David for this week. It's a common Sorry. occurrence. Yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, uh, we're here to interview Pastor Kendall of um, St. John's Methodist Church. How are you? I'm doing well. It's good to be here with you. I'm, I'm sorry that David, who I have not met, um, couldn't can't be here as well. You, you'll probably meet him tomorrow. Is yeah. I would imagine. Yeah, because we're gonna come to the service tomorrow. Okay, he'll, he'll be Wonderful. here then. Um, so just I guess to kind of start out, how did you end up as a pastor? Well, that, that's interesting because. Um, Clearly, before I was a pastor, I was something else. I come from a, a background in music, um, and you know, and then I developed arthritis through that, and then and, and that just led me um, on this kind of existential um, journey—not a crisis, not a crisis, but just an existential journey. And through that, um, God called me into vocational ministry. And if I had to really stress anything, I don't think anyone chooses to be a pastor. I mean, you you can. You can say, I'm going to be a pastor, and I don't think that's the right way to go about it, you know, because that comes about, you're in church, you're watching the, the pastor preach, and maybe you're sitting there going, well, I could do that. And it's really not about, I can do that. It's, it's uh, in my, my um, way of thinking, God calls, and then he calls you into what he wants you to do. And it might not necessarily be um, preaching or teaching. It might be just kind of helping everyone out and just being the hands of ministry. So... I became a pastor through this existential journey of wondering, God, what is all this for? Um, what is my purpose? Through asking all those questions. And through that, God called me. Or, you know, some people might say that was how God called me. So the, the distinction, I think, must be made um, that this is not a career, that it's a calling. And I think that word has been missing from the ministry, you know, but rather it's been a kind of a career oriented thing where you, mm -hmm. you gain all you can, you climb up the ladder. It's not about that. It's about God calling you. So, um, that's how I became a pastor. Um, you know, through God's calling and me being obedient to that call. And boy, did I wrestle. I did not want, I, I don't think anyone in the right mind would choose this because you're, you know, they always, you always attach it. Am I right with, with preaching? Yeah. Would you say that? Right. Yeah. yeah. I would say so. Yeah. But there's so much more there. There's, um, there's going to do hospital visits and helping people. And I, I take to be just put it, you know, bluntly helping people die, um, and helping people finish life. It's about, um, families that are broken and relationships that are broken and being there for them it's you know it's about that's the front lines of christianity it's not all about the preaching mm -hmm. and, and the you know um god thank you for calling me we're gonna just win souls and we're gonna do this and i'm gonna be like those youtube you know famous pastors this is gonna be a great thank you for now now god's calling you perhaps into something totally different than that yeah mm -hmm. yeah so it's not about the self-indulgence and egotism that some people would bring forth into admittedly you see it right yeah. you know and i yeah. hate to be critical but it's it's clearly you, you can spot is this their glory is or is it for god's glory and um the, you know people see through those things they really do yeah. yeah so i guess as a side question um being that we're in a methodist church how did you end up as a methodist uh, that now that's a wonderful question because a lot of people you know a lot of people in the in the methodist church can't tell you why they're a methodist and mm -hmm. they usually say that well i joined the methodist church therefore i'm a methodist 
I'm a Methodist because I, um, I'm going to use the word assented. I, I, I studied Arminianism um, and Wesleyan theology. So I'm a, Me a Methodist because of its theology. And I, I, you know, the Methodists really, or John Wesley and Charles and, um, you know, Arminius, um, they really embrace the notion that we have a choice in this in this um, whole thing called Christianity and salvation and being called into God's mission. And it's not so determined, okay, that it's just a set thing. And when I, when I, you know, understood that theology, which is really based before creation, I know that's a really weird thing, okay, it's based before creation. When I understood, I said, you know, I really believe in this whole theology that happens to be called Methodism right now, okay? Um, I know the word method can be a little, little bit, this is A, this is B, and this is C, you add them together, you get this. Mm -hmm. But um, it really, it's, it's, it's vastly different than that. Methodism, it, there's a theology behind it. So why am I Methodist? For theological reasons is, okay. is it. Okay. Yeah, right. I think you bring up a good point where a lot of people, especially in the Bible Belt, I've yeah. noticed, because I used to go to this church as a wee little one, and a lot of people couldn't tell you why Methodist yeah. or why Baptist or why Pentecostal or why this. It was more of a, oh, because my family went An here, affiliation. because my husband went here, because my daughter went here, yeah. instead of the critical thinking required to have an answer, whether it's on theological or, or the practical way, or practical, or, instead of giving an answer, it's always just because. Yeah, I, and I, you bring up such a wonderful point. Um, I don't think, you know, you have this whole thing called denominations, and I don't right. think really, truly people really understand what those are anymore, because many churches, I'm not painting a big brush here, but typically uh, many churches, they're, they're so caught up in drawing people into their doors rather than teaching them the theology of what they actually believe there. So what happens is we have people growing up in the church, and then the question is asked, the question is put to you, why are you Methodist? Why are you part of this denomination? And you said, well, the Bible says so. Well, nowhere in the Bible does it say that, does it? Yeah. <laughs> and we, we, then they don't have an answer for, for what they believe. And that's scriptural. Whether, you know, whether, you know, you, you adhere to the scriptures, assent to it or not, that is scriptural. You should always have an answer for what you believe, whether it's Christianity, what, you know, whatever theological position or political position you have. Have a reason for what you believe and yes. know the reason and defend it, for goodness sakes. Yeah, that, I, I think the greatest thing I've ever heard related to that is I can respect my enemy because he knows what he believes. I'm not I don't know about my friends because they don't. Yes. And, you know, that for what you said speaks volumes. It means that you you will not judge the person or criticize the person for rejecting what you believe because they know and they they thought it through and said, you know what, I don't I don't agree with that. We have to respect responsible rejection for our for what we believe. And you know, man, we can go off on a tangent right now, can't we? Oh yeah. You know, but let's we'll leave that rabbit alone. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's that's a good thing you brought up because that's um a really big theme that we've been discussing and constantly bringing up with every episode is have a reason for what you believe and be able to explain why you believe what you believe. Exactly. And definitely um, what we're going to be getting into with the later episodes uh, upcoming are going to be more 
or less the implications of why you believe what you believe. So mm-hmm. let's say you assent to Christianity. What does that mean? Yeah. Or let's say you assent to atheism. What does that mean in the real world? The, yeah. The practical implications of it. That's another aspect that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing is it's okay not to know. It as long is. As you're honest. About I love it. that answer. I don't know. I don't know. But you know, I, th- I maybe I'll figure it out. Maybe we won't. But maybe we can do this together. You can actually do that with. Uh, you know, atheistic positions, you know, you're both on the quest for truth. Mm-hmm. The problem is when you determine precisely what the truth is and you stop investigating how valid that truth is. Um, if we're all invested in truth claims, I think we should, we can all work together for this. I'm not saying that all religions lead, you know, with my particular belief, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. Okay. But what does that mean for people who never heard of Jesus Christ? And so you, 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 you know, yeah. you're, Decisions on truth statements have consequences that, you know, implications that we always have to think through. Yeah, right. Um, so <clears throat> one of the other topics we've discussed recently is why exactly go to church? What is the point of going to church? Okay. Um, that is a wonder. I love that question. Okay. Um, and it's one for the purpose of worshiping God. Okay. Now notice I just removed all consumerism out of it. You don't go to church to get something out of it. You go to yeah. church to worship God. Um, when you, when you look at the, um, scripture, the very first thing that he tells the Israelites in Exodus, let my people go. Why? So they can worship me. Okay. Well, what does it mean to worship God? You see how this is leading to other questions, but I think generally speaking for for Christians or or people wondering why Christians should go to church. Christians are in a life pattern of transformation, okay, uh, which means you should be different and, ex, you know, um, f- right now than in three years from now. Now, you could say that it applies for every human being. They should be, okay, and it gets scary when you see the same person. There's no growth. But Christians are to be transformed in holiness, holy living, okay? And I I think that is, we're going to visit that, so I won't touch on this too much. But we're called to be virtuous, virtuous people. Um, you know, the Greeks really understood virtuous living and they strive for it. We, we, you know, and we, we do it for a reason. We do it for the object of God. And well, um, so that includes being compassionate. So to be compassionate, it has to be relational. You have to be with another group of people, right? Right. You um, For more patience, well, trust me, you put yourself in a room full of other people, you're going to need to exercise your patience, which brings it to another aspect. You're going to need to go to the church so you can exercise and grow in your ability to forgive others and to live among an imperfect people, okay? Because, like I said, you put more than 10 people in a room or even, you know, smaller than that, you're going to get a group of people that are going to get on each other's nerves after a while, okay? I guarantee you. If you shut that door, turned off the air conditioning, and you put us in the room, by the end of the day, our conversation is going to be entirely different than it is now. But for the Christian, okay, or for any good-natured human being, okay, we should always strive, you know, to love thy neighbor and to do unto others as you would have, you know, done to yourself. But in order to do that, church is the most wonderful place because everyone should be striving for that. Right. Okay, it's not a hangout. Yeah, it's not a hangout. We can hang out, but we in Christian fellowship. The, the, I, and I hope that broadly answers the question. There's yeah. so many more reasons to go to church. Right. Yeah, right. I, I think it gives a solid base that you have to have the foundation. Yeah. to build on. Yeah, and without that foundation, that house is going to tumble. Exactly. You know, that's the the waves are going to come, and it's going to hit the sand, and it's going to wash everything away. So, found it brings us back to that first that, you know, conversation we were having a couple minutes ago, right? You know, why do you believe in what you do? Mm-hmm. That's so foundational, so foundational. Yeah. 
All right, and for our next question, what is the itinerary of your average church service here? There is a pattern that churches have been following, worship services have been following um, for thousands of years, uh, even predating Jesus, Jesus the Christ, okay, um, and, you know, in the early church. And the pattern is usually a gathering. Right. And by the way, this this crosses it crosses it's traditional and contemporary. Okay. It's just it's just worship. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just talking worship service right now. So let's just put it in an hour. There's a gathering. We believe that God calls the people. You don't wake up in the morning and say, I decided to go to go to church. Well, you decided to go to church because you believe in God. Well, through that, the Holy Spirit that works within you calls you to church to gather with the people kind of backtracking that question, you know, why go to church, okay? Mm-hmm. So you go to church as a response to God to worship God. That's the gathering fold. And then, it, you know, and during that fold, you might have, you know, hymns, okay, a call to worship, which we believe God calls, and then you have a hymn, a praise song that affirms all that who God is, the creator of the universe, God, look at your creation for the beauty of the earth. You see how broad the hymn is? Um, and the best way I can explain this, when you go up to a strange, a person you haven't seen in a while on the street and you have a conversation with them, you don't immediately jump into intimate conversation. You, you say, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. By the way, things are great. That's broad. And then in the back to the worship surface, it works its way back into something more intimate and then it moves into a time of prayer or a time of confession where we affirm together what we believe when people affirm together what they believe in church it's not hey you know what let's just say out loud what we believe together it's literally god saying if you believe in god and there's a conversation going god saying, what do you believe now that you're gathered as my people and when they say the creed well, we believe in this God. Okay. So now, now we're having a conversation with God. Then we move into a time of prayer. That's a little bit more intimate. That's not as broad. Okay. So now the conversation continues. And then after that, we typically have a children's message. That's now, now it's moving into the word portion of the service. Okay. By the way, the, the time of giving goes towards the beginning because we respond to God by you gave to us, we're giving to you. This is a relationship here. Okay. It's not okay. like, um, and then we move into the word portion where things start to quiet down and the conversation becomes more one way than, you know, reciprocated back and forth. Um, and that is God speaking to us from the message, from his word. That's when you usually have a scripture reading, okay? And then it moves into the sermon. Then afterwards, you have the response. And God's saying, now what? Now, how do you respond to this? Okay, because the whole purpose of the sermon is not so you can have a lecture. It's so that I can transform you, in, you know, to better fit my mission in the world. It's not about your mission, my mission in the world. Then after that, that the um, response usually occurs in a hymn. It's not as broad as the first hymn. It's more like, you know, Jesus, you love me or something like that. And um, you affirm the word. And then the pastor sends the people out into the world um, to go to go transform the world through their to how they that lines up with how they were just transformed. And that's called the sending. So you have the gathering, you have the word, you have the response, and then you have the sending. It's a fourfold. Fourfold. All right. Is that pretty pretty much in detail yeah makes oh, sense yeah okay, yeah, yeah good definitely. good yeah awesome. it's very better than a bland okay we have this we have the yeah this and then that and that it it adds more to it than compartments just <clears throat> stating yeah this is what we do i like to say if you walked into the worship service and your god was leading the worship service which he very much is how would you re- worship <laughs> that changes everything right because yeah. now you're not bored you're like this is god i better pay attention and it takes the uh, 
self-centeredness that some people are going to have when attending a service yeah out of it when you process it and think of it that way yeah and that that's so correct it removes consumerism um i i gave a um a really awesome um i i think it's awesome my my um worship theology instructor from seminary told me that it's like think about two people going to a birthday party right and they're going to celebrate the birthday of someone turning 50 years old and you know there's the gathering right there's the people there and then there's usually speeches gift opening and all that stuff well and then you know and then the cake right and then these two people are walking home from this birthday party and the one turns to her friend and said hey how how did how do you think that went and the person goes well i don't know i just i wasn't into it you know i mean the speeches were so long and boring and you know and the gift i wish someone gave me a gift and you know the way they sang happy birthday just stunk you know everyone was at it they just couldn't get together and then the birthday cake comes along I don't know. And the, the, the whole idea is that person missed the point, right? You go to the birthday party to experience something, to be a part of it, to be in, immersed in everything that's going on. You didn't go to get something out of it. Right. All right. You went to put something into it. And I think this whole consumeristic nature that has occurred throughout Christianity, especially in America, I can't speak beyond America, America has, has, has embraced this whole idea. It's like it turns into one psychological couch session where you're there help me out help me it's all about me no it really is about god we got to get back to that center that core right there yeah okay and for our next question what is the place of your church within the community you serve I can I can right now because I was just appointed here um, I began July 4th um, and the community that we're we're placed in right now is Graniteville Okay, um, I still have to learn this community and the best I can now I could tell you about the people of St. John, what I've seen so far. Now, granted, I'm going to see something different than a, than a congregant or, you know, what, what you two will experience tomorrow when you visit the worship service. Okay, because I'm the pastor. So people tend to be like, they, they they tend to put their best foot forward in front of the pastor, okay? Mm -hmm. You know, you really should put your best foot forward in front of God, <laughs> you know what I mean, during worship. So I'm trying to learn the community here before I can even speak on the community, okay? Um, but I think every church should be a light into the community. That's easier said than done, because what if you're placed in the community that's violent? You know, how can you be that light where everyone's trying to snuff out that light? Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So I cannot I cannot speak on the community here at Granville. I can only have I only have positive things to say right now, but I've only been associated and in close contact. And my wife, Evelyn, and, you know, we, we can both speak to this. We only know the people that come to church in Granville. I, I think that is probably not an accurate description of the community. OK, I only knew the community of Christ. That, that is gathered together at St. John here. Does that make okay. sense? Yeah. 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 And Honest answer. I don't yeah, know. That, I don't know. As yeah. as we speaked earlier, yeah. that's an honest answer, everybody. Yeah. That is another point to prove that it's okay not to know. And it's okay to want to learn like you obviously do about your community. Yeah, and I appreciate that because I want to make something up. My, my, my <laughs> inclination is to be like, I want to tell you a community that I dream of, but it's not realistic. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, you know, we're unplaced within a context that has to be realistic in order to address the community. So how is your church governed? Um, 
the polity of the United Methodist Church. I'll yeah. speak very broadly on this because this you just that's a you know, just to be honest with you, that's a very boring question. Okay, that is, <laughs> it is. man, they get into pol church politics and stuff. You have the <laughs> annual con you have the um, general conference that represents the United Methodist Church worldwide that formed in 1968. You see where we're going right now with this? It formed in 1968, and then from the general conference, you have you, of course you have to because it's worldwide, you have to divide up sections that you can govern throughout the world okay we believe in of course a theocracy where god's governing everything so we have a a, um, a setup of bishops that come together and through that you have the general conference then you have the annual conference the annual conference is like the state of south carolina gathering together and that makes up the church gathered there and god works through that as well and then <laughs> you work your way down into um the local churches, the districts, okay? Right now, we're in um, the Greenwood District. Right up the road is the Orangeburg District. You know, it's divided like county lines. Mm -hmm. And um, so this enables us to do that. Check this out. The annual conference determines the mission of the church for the year, and then it puts it forth out to the local churches. Right now, you're sitting on a local church um, campus, basically. Right. Um, so it goes general conference, annual conference, district, local church, and that's where we are right now. Within the church, you pretty much have um, a government of finances, um, however church wants to structure it, trustees that take care of the buildings. Um, of course, you have the um, leadership staff, the, the pastor and then you have the congregation. Important to know about the United Methodist Church. Um, it's not congregational. Rather, we, we operate on a call system where a pastor comes in and um, hopefully, you know, leans on God and, and you know, and others leaning on God for their vision of the church. And then the congregation listens. One of the issues that congregational churches tend to run into, and even, even Methodist churches, is that the, when the people only want to hear what entertains them and you start... And, and, and you start preaching sermons that empty out pews, okay, which was Jesus was really good at, by the way. You know, if you wanted to, you know, preach a sermon on growth, don't go to Jesus, okay, because he preached a sermon and everyone laughed, okay, and some most people gathered, okay, but right. just a snarky, yeah. snarky point right yeah. there. Um, but the problem is if the congregation starts wanting to hear specific things, then they're not allowing the Holy Spirit to work through them. Because a lot of times when I read the scripture, especially the book of Jeremiah or any of the prophets, they're hearing stuff that they don't want to hear that's uncomfortable and you just wanted to run, run from. Um, so the issue with congregations is when they collectively oust their, it's very easy for them to oust a pastor that's speaking uncomfortable truths that way. We live in a world that doesn't like the uncomfortable truths mm -hmm. that confront our convictions. It all comes back to your foundations. It really does. Does that answer the governmental question? It does, yeah. <laughs> and I think it gives a good insight into why having a governance can be a good thing. It's important. Because I have firsthand seen a couple churches attempt mm -hmm. to run a pastor away because speaking on things that yeah. might not have agreed with what someone wanted to hear, what someone's worldview of the earthly world before the spiritual world is. Yeah. And so I think through all of this, we're seeing why, and including our previous interviews, why a governing body uh -huh. 
can be a great thing to have. There's obviously going to be issues. We, we have a governing body right here, don't we? So you you are leading, you know, you're very much leading the conversation, right? Even I'm babbling a lot, but you're very much leading the conversation. But it's being governed. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we have a God of order. Um, we have a God of politics. I really believe that. I, I'm not talking... Um, you know, worldly politics. We have there's an order that God has where He is clearly at the top, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. you have a trickle down thing where you know, and it, it's not one of equalness. We're treated equally, but God is supreme. There's a government there. Yeah, and the other thing is we've uh, run into. Well, I think there are, there are problems with some churches where um, you kind of have the pastor and they're like the supreme dictator of that entire church and that, and that whole no language checks. right dictator right yeah, and there's no mm-hmm. no checks and balances for them so yeah. they can they can go completely out the rails and there's no consequences and, for and that. then that's when you get into um what do people say religion they get into religion which is kind of weird they don't i don't think people understand the use of you know, religion, because Jesus was the most religious person in the world. You know what I mean? He, he followed all the, he went to all the festivals. He spoke at the synagogues. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty religious to me. He was talking about um, legalistic religion. Um, I think religion is necessary, um, especially organized religion, because I don't want to show up to a, a church service, which we talked about the itinerary of the church service before and have it all disorganized and no one put any work into it. We have a God of order, not a God of chaos. Right. So. Yeah. Love your points. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, so I know kind of like very little basically about Methodist churches. I know they came out of the holiness movement. Um, could you talk about what that means for your church? And as a broader question, what makes Methodism unique in the broader Christian spectrum? Um, you know, it did come out. It came through the holiness mo- movement. And, and that's not a correction. It's just it's just like I think we have to understand that Methodism didn't grow out of something. What you had in the 1700s, just along that time period, was John Edwards, who was um, Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, up north in America, the northeastern, he 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 started the kind of like preaching out in the fields, and and people started coming to Christ, and they started having those meetings. That's what was going on here in America. Then George Whitfield, um, who was part of the Methodist Club, um, came over here for a visit, and he met and he worked with John Edwards. He was just fascinated by it. Okay, so you got a kind of Calvinistic. I don't want to get into that. Pe- you know, people have Google or Bing; they can search it. Okay, yeah, or um, listen to our interview. You, with or they can do that. Go back and listen to your basketball. awesomely, you know, shamelessly plugged interview right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's funny. Um, but George Whitfield um, came here now and and started working that, and it started growing here. You know, and you know that so that was was somewhat a revival going on. And then over back in England, John Wesley, okay, who was the founder, one of the founders of Methodism, John and Charles Wesley started hearing about what was going on over in America. And they're like, okay, this is interesting. They haven't, they're not taking action yet. Well, they're taking interest in it, in the, it's in the newspapers and stuff, okay. You know, um, yeah, religion in the newspaper is really weird. Um, and then, George Whitfield came back over to church, you know, the, um, over in England, started talking with um, John Wesley and got him to start preaching in the fields. You got it? You see how it's coming through the holiness movement? Mm-hmm. And then through that, um, John Wesley started preaching out in the, in the fields and stuff. People started growing and he started actually going to people in shipyards and stuff like that and the, and, and the factory workers, okay? And 
things started growing because now the church is being brought out to the streets where before it was kept in the building. And um, John Wesley actually had this phrase, God forbid anyone gets saved outside of the church, you know, and he really meant that, you know, how does anyone get saved apart from the church building? Well, he separated that. And then throughout the years, it started growing. And then eventually, you know, it started growing in America. So it's it, it kind of something that grew because of the environment that came out of Christendom, which we talked about before. Um, and it, it kind of rode that wave. Um, what was the other part of the so it came out of that. Can you talk about uh, what this, what holiness means to our church? Well, what is holiness? Holy, holiness, a lot of people think it just means to be good. No, it means to be holy, separate, separate from all things. When we say God is holy, he created the universe and, and, he, and he's separate from it. He's not the universe, okay, mm -hmm. despite what some, some belief systems think, okay, um, Christians generally believe that God is a part, and because of that, he's holy. Okay, uh, so therefore, if we're isn't that what holy means? Holy separate. means separate. Yeah, yeah, but I think we, you know we live in a, a day of definitions where you really have to be specific on what that means. Right. If we're if we're bad, God is separate from that. You see, now we have to start talking about things on those terms. So when it talks holiness, separate. We're part of this world, but we're called out of this world. We are not of this world. I know that sounds really weird to a lot of people. By the way, Christians should really affirm that we have really weird language, okay? Yeah. Uh, I might use that tomorrow. But, um, <laughs> but being holy, we are to set an example that looks different from the rest of the world. If, if you see uh, a neighborhood that is full of people being abused and oppressed, okay, we as Christians should bring the gospel message of Jesus Christ to that oppression and address that. I don't mean by saying, be saved, you know what I mean? I mean that you should collectively engage in a humanitarian effort for the glory of God, okay, and go and address that oppression, by giving them water, by helping them out, by donating to their school supplies. That's bringing the gospel message, okay? And then it opens up a relationship for you to talk about Jesus Christ. Do you see how that works? A lot of right. times we go in there with the spoken word and we forget to live the spoken word. People are paying more attention to your actions than they are to your words. And that's what yeah. we mean by holy. You're bringing something that is out of this world to a place that, that it's, you know, it's not existing. So you're, you know, you're, being, you're bringing something that's separate, set apart. Christians are to be a holy people. They are set apart from the rest of the world. That's what it means for the church. Okay. Okay. That's a good response. All right. And for our next question. According to your tradition's theological perspective, what, what, what must one do to be saved? Uh, I think this is a universal, universally known that, um, and I'll expand on this really briefly, faith in Jesus the Christ, okay? Now, in order to put your faith in Jesus the Christ, you have to understand who Jesus is, which means you need to know the story, the, narr the meta-narrative, I'm going to call it. Uh, do you know what a meta-narrative is? Okay, yeah. good. It's something that you can glean from. Um, the meta-narrative of not just the New Testament scriptures, but the Old Testament scriptures, and it goes all the way back to the, the, the creation of the world. So you have to know the story of Christianity, the story of human beings, what it means to be a human. human. <laughs> right. it's, it's not as simple as, like I said, I remember I said, um, I brought up the um, term existential journey. Mm -hmm. If you're not on one, get on one, <laughs> okay? Because I personally have a conviction that there is life after, okay? I have a personal conviction that there is uh, a, uh, that God sets the moral ethics of 
of things. Okay. Now in knowing that, um, my response is to line myself up accordingly with that. So they just say, believe in Jesus, the Christ. It's like, it's like going up to someone and say, everything is love. Well, love is different to, let's say someone who's never experienced it. Someone who can I be, can I be harsh? That's fine. Yeah. To, love is a lot different to a, a prostitute who's been loved. You get it? You get right. it all all that person's life and doesn't know what love is. Uh, to a person who has grown up in the culture of like a nuclear family, okay? Right. It's, it's different. So when I say Jesus Christ, you have to understand who Jesus Christ is. Now we have the, um, the obstacle of what is sacrifice. Why did he do that? That's kind of obscene, right? We have to understand Jesus Christ as set in the first century context, backed by the sacrifices of the Holy Temple and the Jews and all that stuff. So it's not as simple as, as one might think. Do you see? Now, this is yeah. where relationships are so important because we can now sit and I can teach you about the scriptures and the Jesus Christ and maybe help you avoid what people have read into scriptures because we love to read into things okay mm -hmm. but um let the scriptures and the holy spirit work work there what does someone have to do to be saved to put their faith in the jesus christ of the scriptures through understanding is, yeah. is what i'm going to say so it's not like uh you just gotta believe yeah and what exactly. yeah, you kind of have to get yourself into the mindset of of the culture yeah and understand that you know, there's it, a it's a there's a difference, but there, a yeah, there's a deep theology behind Jesus the Christ. You know, first, you know, uh, you know, and I, I, I put it. Uh, it's on the Saint John website. If you go to the um, What We Believe page, it explains um, the notion of Jesus being a God Man and why that's important. You know what I mean? And why it's important that it took a God to make the proper sacrifice to a God, another God, his God. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, Jesus' sacrifice was acceptable to God, not because he was a human being, but because he was God himself. Okay. And if I do something wrong to you, that's a person to a person. I can say, forgive me. Mm -hmm. And you can say, okay. And then I can do something to make everything right. right. What happens when you sin against your creator, who is a God? You can, there's nothing you can do at that point to make everything right. Right. You have to be a God, okay, to make the acceptable sacrifice. And you also have to be a man because it was a man who sinned against God. Do you see where this is going? That's mm -hmm. why I say you have to understand, you know, and I, I just took a really deep theological thought that a lot of people really don't arrive at. But that to me makes sense. That was by St. Anselm in the 12th century, the 12th or 13th century, mm -hmm. um, you know, who developed our, that theory of atonement. And, and, and it just it falls in line beautiful when you consider it. Yeah, and also yeah. one thing when you brought up love is in this modern world, we like to think that semantics don't necessarily matter, mm -hmm. but they help adjust the shortcomings of written and spoken language because there's only so many ways we can describe something. Precisely. Like in other languages, there's seven, eight, nine, ten different ways to express yeah. One's love. In the English language, we say love. We say love. And then yeah. now we have to explain it through our actions. But here, here's a way Here's a way to understand. I think love should be a conjunctive term. I think it should be holy love. This holy love means I'm not going to come up to you and say, let me give you a hug and everything's going to be fine. Holy love means I'm going to come up to you. I'm going to come alongside of you. Make sure you're okay. And, you know, try to help you along with life. That's a holy love. It, and it's not saying let's, let's um, you know, give in to our carnal desires. That's a physical love, okay, which can, you know, be connected to a holy love. God, God gave us bodies. We're not, I'm not a Gnostic, okay, mm -hmm. um, 
Gnostics believe that there's a release. You know, when you hear people say, oh, they're released from their body, that's, that's a Gnostic view, you know. Um, Christians generally believe that scriptures teach that we are united with our bodies again. In, in, I don't know how, <laughs> okay, I don't have an answer to that. Mm -hmm. um, but, well, there's our first rabbit trail. <laughs> Do I get an award? Yeah. <laughs> but no, faith in Jesus Christ alone, it's faith which saves you, but you have to understand who Jesus is in order to actually have that faith, okay? Okay. And our next question, what is the role and nuance between faith and works in one's faith journey? Faith should lead to works. If, if you understand that you love God, and then because you love God, and because God has brought you into this wonderful life, that that we call Christianity, okay, then you're going to respond in a certain way by doing works and wanting others to share in that. Um, you know, uh, when you experience something that, that's good, you want to share it with other people. Well, I think God is the ultimate good that you experience, and then you want to share that with other people, and that's where works come in. What is God calling us into? He's calling us to cultivate okay a better world a world that he intends intends to happen okay um by the way just to get really just to kind of put it, put the listeners in the proper view of where i'm coming from i don't believe genesis was god's original plan that he messed up i believe that we're part of the original plan bringing us to a place of um god's god's heaven and earth <laughs> all right I believe that when you die, you go to be with God, and then he brings heaven. Uh, so, you know, that's what I see in the scripture. Um, so just to set that place. Faith, faith leads to works. The Holy Spirit enables good works out of transformation rather than obligation. When, when you hear someone say, what would Jesus do? They're, they're trying to do what Jesus would do out of obligation and not out of heart transformation. Okay, I can help you across the street because I want you to get you out of the way, or I can help you across the street because I just genuinely um, I'm concerned for your well-being, and I think it's a, a wonderful thing that my heart is expressing towards you. Big difference there. Yeah, yeah, I think that's one thing that's usually lost in context when when people try to separate works and faith. Yeah. And go, oh yeah, I'm a good Christian because yeah. instead of hey, I'm a Christian. And through that, yeah, I express and try to live as I would want others to live towards me. Precise, and I love that. You know, it's because they're seeing what a genuine Christian is. If I'm asking you how you are doing, and I'm genuine about it, I really want to know. Okay, but you ever have a conversation when someone says how you're doing, you start telling them, and they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. You see right through that. You feel insulted. You feel hurt. Okay, Christ is focused on your transformation of your heart. Okay, which I don't understand why people think it's a bad thing, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, rather than the obligation, okay, that you feel like you have to do to please him, okay? Christ, his eyes are on your heart, you know, and, and then your actions should stem forth from that. So faith leads to good works, not works, to good works. <laughs> so we have to be clear there. Okay. What exactly does sin do to people? Sin precisely, it separates people from God. That's that's as simple as that, okay? Um, and let, let's talk about this whole thing called salvation, because if sin separate, why does, why does sin separate people from God? If God is wholly perfect and has nothing to do with sin, the, 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 the mere introduction of sin, let's just say in his throne room, right, blemishes God. 
Can we just agree on that one? So mm -hmm. if, if you're if you're sin, you know, sinful in any way whatsoever, and you step into God's throne room, you've just dethroned God from being God because you blemished him with your very presence. Now we're starting to understand what holy means, okay? So that's what holy means, okay? So God had to come up with a way to allow people into his presence, okay? Okay, still being holy, and they and therefore Jesus the Christ is the answer to that, okay? By the way, um, the one thing that gets you I'm going to say separated from God, because I just think that's a proper language to use and, you know, sent to blank or, you know, yeah. um, the one thing that gets you separated from God is your reliance upon yourself. Why? Because you're sinful. You can't be in his presence. The one thing, the only, one and only thing that places you in the presence of God properly is Jesus the Christ. Okay. Now, if we believe in a holy, just God, right? then if someone never heard of the name or was introduced to the name of Jesus Christ, in order for God to be just and holy and righteous, he's going to have to take that into consideration, right? He's going to say, well, you know, I get it. In order for, now let's say someone presented you with the gospel message of Jesus Christ up and down, right? And it was, it was proper and you rejected it. That's a different story. Let's say someone came up to you and presented you with Jesus Christ in a, in a manner that you just couldn't understand it at all. I think God takes that into consideration. I also think God takes into consideration the idea that maybe you have some infirmities that keep you from understanding certain things, like psychological dispositions that um, handicap your way. I believe that God takes that into consideration. By the way, Wesley, John Wesley believed this too. That's a properly thought out theology rather than the saying, I just said the name Jesus Christ to you, you rejected, you're going to hell. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't know that was your place. I didn't know that you had the power to condemn me and judge me in that manner. Okay. Yeah. Do you see the difference here? Mm -hmm. And I think that's true Christianity. And I think Paul sense Paul, the apostle Paul in Romans, a sense of for, for the Gentiles have a law upon themselves. He's talking about the moral ethical law that God placed on their hearts. Okay. Who have never heard of Jesus Christ or God. And therefore they are, you know, you get it. They're saved. Yeah. We tend to leave that out. We tend to say, you have to believe exactly what I believe, how, when I say so, because I want to be your savior, not Jesus Christ. And then we introduce that to the world, poison, complete poison. All right. Well, that, 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 <laughs> I hope yeah. I answered that question. My goodness. And, I had too much coffee. <laughs> and I, I, I appreciate you bringing that up because we, especially in modern terms, look at salvation as a very kind of human centered thing yeah instead of centered on something greater than oneself and yeah. it does there are a lot of bad faith actors out there there are who use christianity or any religion as a crutch or as a manipulation tactic mm -hmm. because if you're against me you're against something bigger than me whether it's an army whether it's a god whether it's this yeah and instead of trying to break down the barriers that separate it's creating more. Yeah, instead of being a, a, an invitational, an invitation, it's actually resistance. It's actually, you know, resistance against what you have believed your whole life. <laughs> I don't respect that. You know, are you kidding me? But I'm sorry, you want me to respect you, you know, but you don't respect anything. You're not willing to listen to anything I have to say. Why should I even listen to you? And, and, and uh, you know, mm -hmm. for them, I, I applaud that, you know, even though they, you know, there, you know, someone's missing the picture here, and it's the person presenting the gospel incorrectly, you know, so.
And I think that's a good point to make, especially in the modern times that mm-hmm. we are in where it's getting easier to see people using things in that negative context. And as you said, it is poison. Yeah. They put and, on the weapon, the armor of Christianity and they start beating people with it. <laughs> that's not yeah, those good. bathroom cards aren't going to convince anybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> let me beat you in the submission. <laughs> So kind of shifting gears, um, how do you view communion and what implications does that view hold? Um, communion, um, there's this word that I, I like to use and it's proleptic. And proleptic uh, means something that is in the past, present, and future. It addresses all things, okay? And when we take communion, I believe that it is spiritual nourishment. Um, something is happening. You're doing something that Jesus um, commanded us to do. Uh, we do so by remembering Jesus, okay? And we re- by remembering, we don't just remember his name, remember his life. We remember the, the story, the meta-narrative of, of Christianity. So when we approach that table, the communion table, which is an invitation to all people, okay? Jesus didn't just call certain people. That's where we fellowship together at this beautiful table where Jesus, and we're brought together in Christ. How? Through his sacrifice, we don't have time to get into sacrifice right now, but it's very important. You know, mm-hmm. we have a different form of sacrifice these days. I'd say sacrifice your time, right? You know, we don't we don't believe in the gospel of inconvenience, okay? But when people approach the table, they are remembering the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in the past. It is spiritually nourishing them in the present, and they look forward to the time when um, fellowship between all the nations come together in a very good fashion. Um, to worship God. Now, I, when I say worship God, I don't mean to worship service. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I mean, you worship God with the way you live. If you want to picture what heaven is like, picture people loving God and loving each other. Those two have to be together. And that that's what the com- communion table symbolizes. That's the starting point. Okay. So how often do you guys do communion? Um, I'm new here, but I'm going to institute communion on the first of every month. Um, and a lot of people, the argument, uh, original argument to Wesley and a lot of people were, well, to Wesley, not of Wesley, okay, was that, well, if you take it, you water it down. The best, the best form argument against that is when, when I had children and I read them stories every night, it never got watered down. They, want, they listened to it every time like, oh, my gosh, that's exciting. It never got watered down. Mm-hmm. Um, rather, they got nourished from it every night. They spiritually nourished. What was being nourished was the relationship, um, the act of reading, the act of communion, the act of taking, the act of saying, I love you, good night. Okay, it never got watered down. So in that aspect, we should always take communion whenever we can because it's spiritual nourishment. It is God strengthening our souls. Okay. In communion with a communion, you know. Right. Yeah. And it also seems it adds even a, a deeper step into that dialogue between yeah. you and God or like reading with your kids, you and them and their development. Yeah. And that I used to be very skeptical on the reasons for and the purpose of communion mm-hmm. growing up. But that's one thing even as a agnostic theist mm-hmm. looking towards it, I now see the value and the virtue and the dialogue that's created symbol. there. The symbol, the symbol, 
right? Um, and we're, we're living in a world right now where all symbols are trying to be stripped away. People are a people of symbols. And the moment you take them away, you remove the meaning of things, okay? And we live in a world of meaning. Everything has meaning, you know? But spiritual, you know, really quick, I think this is important to mention. When you first meet someone, you have a general interest in that person. <clears throat> the first thing you do is ask them, do you want to get together and fellowship with me? What, how? Through coffee? Through a meal? Right. Mm -hmm. The meal is the important factor because that's the very thing you're going to be doing for the rest of your lives that things work out. Right. You're going to be having meals together. And um, Jesus, the Christ, God, the Father, the Holy Spirit is encouraging us right now. You don't have to wait for heaven. OK, right now you have a glimpse of it by inviting all people to the table to have a meal together. The most intimate thing you can do. Mm -hmm. That's communion. OK, so. um the big rabbit trail question. Um, if God is truly omniscient, do we really have free will? Um, to answer that question, God can um, know all things, but not be the determiner of all things. That, that just right there in answers that question right now. God doesn't have to be in control of everything in order to be in control of everything. Uh, okay? And we have a God that has willingly um, involved himself with his creation. Okay. A God that could experience, had, had the choice to experience pure joy, pure love, pure holiness for all of eternity decided to say, I'm going to be involved with my creation who has turned their backs on me and break his heart. And that, that, you know, that's the God that, that, that I believe in a God that would involve himself, uh, and to, to, um, go through emotions with us and cry and sacrifice himself in the form of his son, Jesus, the Christ for us. So can God is God, if God is omniscient, do we have free will? Absolutely. Um, here's the best answer scripturally for that question. Even, um, even if you don't believe in the scriptures, you can look at us and find us. Did Jesus ever force himself on anyone? He, he said, believe in me. He didn't go after the person. So that answers the question of free will right there. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I guess to dig deeper into that, if God knows everything, uh -huh. God knows what you're going to do. Yeah. And God made everything. Uh-huh. Did God not indirectly make you do that? No, no, not at all. Okay. Now, like I said, it goes back to you can know something. Okay. You can know that, you know, Michael is over sitting right there right now. Okay. You mm -hmm. can know his actions and his instincts and his reaction. If you hit him on the knee, his, his leg's going to come up. Okay. Mm -hmm. But well, that's you causing it, but you can know Michael is sitting right there. You can know that pretty much that he's going to be sitting there four seconds from now, only four seconds. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Does Michael still have the choice to get up? You know what I mean? Those things. You can know something, but not be the cause of that something. Mm -hmm. I can throw a ball this way, okay, but not be the cause of anything that happens when I throw it, okay. And God yeah. um, created all things, set everything's in the everything in the motion. That's a philosophical argument by by Thomas Aquinas, okay. Wonderful argument, um, and um, he he is the prime mover. But from that. All things are not determined by God. Does he have a plan? Yes. All right. Does it mean God's making things up? No. He just knows all things, but he has not determined everything that's happened. Okay. And that's where free will comes into the picture. Gotcha. That's a, that. You know, I had to think through that a lot mm -hmm. uh, um, in, in months, months, even you know, even longer than that. And it, it came down to that one clear statement right there. I refuse to believe in a God that has caused everything. 
that that and that even caused me to feel the way I'm feeling right now answering this question. That's meticulous providence. Okay, my idea of providence, the care of God, is Him literally helping you through life, through all your mistakes. If God caused everything, you can't make a mistake. I've made tons of mistakes in my life. The amazing thing about God is that He meets you at the end of your mistake, and He's like, "Let's fix this together." Okay. Yeah. All right, and to change gears a little bit once again Mm -hmm. for our next question do you think religion and science are at odds no not not when you're when not when you know the ultimate truth i think religion is perfectly married to science now science has these wonderful criticisms about christianity like you know you believe in things that are invisible but so does science (laughs) what's what's in a black hole what's dark matter i don't know and their answer is wonderful i love their answer we don't know and i think Christians need to embrace we don't know okay so is science is science is always on the quest for truth okay and I, I do believe that um, that one day oh by the way there's a lot of groups um, a big movement going on around the world I think for the past 10 12 years now where the science scientific community has reached out to the theological community and said let's work together you see mm-hmm. before the um, enlightenment let's just say 1600s and 1700s they put the telescope to the sky and they discovered God is more distant than we thought. Okay, let's just say that. And then, then you know, deism came in, and then the wedge between the invisible and the visible started to get wider and wider. And now we have this whole enlightenment at its peak, humanism, right? Humans know all things. We don't need God. That is something that eventually happened. That is not something that happened overnight. It's, you know what I mean? And right now, the scientific community, I, I commend them and I commend the, um, the theistic community. They're, they're saying, let's work together because we don't know. And when both sides say they don't know, I think that's the healthiest place to be. So back to the point, do science, does science um, you know, and religion, are they uh, coherent? That's a better word. Okay. Are they couldn't? Yeah, absolutely. We're not. <laughs> we're not because we don't know all things science and we don't know all things God. So we're not. And the mention of the word humanism should make you run because it's a one of arrogance that says we are, we do know. We know some things. We don't know all things. How arrogant of us. So that's, that's, yeah. It. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, go ahead. I kind of think. That question is brewed due to the climate that we are and the rise of certain movements from the underground to the fourth. But when you look at history, throughout history, especially pre-modern history, Mm -hmm. what was the driving factor for science? It was the search for knowledge. True. Because if Mm -hmm. we if we knew everything, that would have the implication that we would be God. Yeah. And we are not. We are mere mortals. We really are. Yeah. Now we can pretend to be gods, but, you know, that that never got us anywhere good. And another argument that I make for against, say, the anti-intellectual movement is, well, if God gave you free will, he gave you a good head on your shoulders, and he gave you a world full of things. If you don't want to learn about them and appreciate them, are you really taking advantage of everything you've been given? Yeah. Are you really seeing the picture? That is a wonderful point. Uh, you know, you, when you look through a telescope or you just look up at the sky and you say, wow, that's a form of worship. Don't, yeah. don't you think so? It's not a form of saying, look what I did. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's like, you know? yeah, 
It's like if, say you have a bad day, you walk into the woods and you just sit there mm-hmm. and appreciate every little aspect. You didn't make that. Yeah. You didn't put that in motion. Yeah. You're just sitting there and you're appreciating what's around you and appreciating what has been put forth to yeah. you. And that kind of alludes to like the argument from beauty too. Yeah. So well, I guess there's, there's, an argument, there's a teleological argument there. There's all that stuff. But when you, when you're in nature, don't I, I believe that God created that for something, not for himself. I mean, although he, he takes great pleasure, but for us, God loves us so much. It's like, he's like, yeah, isn't that great? Mm-hmm. Isn't that great? Yeah. Enjoy so it. I guess kind of science is good at doing science. Theology is good at doing theology. Can they I, they can have I bring a, limited, up a really quick point. Yeah, basically they just have a limited scope, and they mm-hmm. sometimes they cross lanes, sometimes they don't. But yeah, they're they're doing different things. Basically, you just you just triggered what I wanted to say. You okay. just stumbled right upon it, which is great. Listen, if you want to know the shape of the world, buy a science book. If you want to know the shape of the human heart, read the Bible. Okay, the, the Bible's not a science book, and don't try to make it a science book. Yeah. God is saying, search me, know me, and you can do that through science, and then when you discover the truth, rejoice in it, okay? You might be wrong, <laughs> but rejoice in it. And um, if you want to, if you want to um, study, you know, um, science, get a science book. You know, that, that's what they're there for, and I think God rejoices in that. You know, now I might get a lot of emails for saying that, but whatever. Yeah, <laughs> but also people need to remember there's a difference between a theory yeah. and a fact. Yeah, yeah, and a fact is a truth. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome. And next, in your opinion, how should Christians interact with politics? I think I Christ- that's a loaded question. No, right it's there. not. I th- and I can answer it really quickly. Um, you know, I haven't even thought about Christians should be involved in all spheres of life. Politics is life. Christians should be involved in politics, okay? Um, Christians should be able to call out and criticize, offer criticism to the world of politics, to the world of oppression, to the world that God gave us, and to remove ourselves from any sphere that has to do with human, I'm going to say flourishing, okay? I don't, I don't, I don't want to get into the whole American exceptionalism, okay? But when I say flourishing, I mean the progress and the, um, the betterment of the human condition, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and to remove ourselves from any part of that, I think, is a, is, um, a sin of omission, let's just say. Because when we let people who don't have a moral center, who believe that, like, let's just say ethics are is a moral is a social construct that is created within cultures. That's it. You go to another culture, there's no that's their culture. But, but they can't explain why kicking a baby in the head is wrong. Right. And well, that yeah. was just developed in our culture, you know. Um, so when you when you're dealing with that, I think your Christians um, should be able to offer proper, truthful criticism to that. OK, whether something happens from it or not. Paul, if you when you read not if when you read Romans or any of his letters, um, or even G, or, or Jesus, um, it's always uh, offering a godly perspective. Okay, criticism is the mm-hmm. word of the surroundings. So yeah. Christians should be interact with all spheres of life. You know, I, I admire my wife. <laughs> um, 
being a pastor, we, we, we are to be blissfully neutral, okay? Why? Because I'm supposed to point people to Jesus the Christ, okay? But I have a secret weapon. <laughs> it's called my wife. And she is very outspoken on, on things of justice, on things of freedom, and, and, and you know, th things like that. She has no problem saying, well, you know, they're right, we're wrong, okay? Um, and I just really admire her for that. So, you know, if you want to get a, a taste of, like, um, should Christians be interact with politics, just visit her page on Facebook. <laughs> you want to you go ahead and plug that for everybody? Nah. Okay. Nah, leave right. my wife alone. I love her too much. All right. <laughs> you know? um, kind of related to that, what is one general thing you think that Christians in America should work on? I think Christians in America should acknowledge that America, it, that God isn't all about America. Um, you know, when, when COVID came about, I think Americans forgot that um, that there's the rest of the world that was experiencing COVID as well. Um, I, I think Christians in America um, should come alongside other Christians in the world rather than try to help them out. Okay, they can help themselves, okay? We, we should come alongside. We should never go, well, we'll give you this if you do this. Now, it should not be that. Christians in America need to start working on their relationships. Christians in America should back up their gospel message with their gospel living. And I don't see that going on. Um, and Christian uh, Christians in America should really analyze. Um, by the way, I'm, I will say, before I say this, I'm for capitalism, okay? So in saying that, Christians in America should analyze consumerism in the church. They have a spirit of consumerism rather than a, a spirit of transformation. Okay, it's take, feed me, feed me, feed me. Remember I said the congregation ends up in one big couch session for an hour? Yeah. How do you feel? You know, Jesus isn't here to fluff our pillows, okay? You yeah. know, uh, he, he's, we, we, listen, Christians in America need to get off the cruise ship and get on the battleship. And preachers in America, I'm not saying all them, okay? Maybe this includes me as well, okay? Preachers should stop preaching to the battleship from the cruise ship. That's, that's what I believe. Okay. Okay. All right. And I know that sounds harsh and, um, you know, maybe I'm making my way over to that battleship. Okay. It takes work. It takes self, um, uh, I have to analyze and criticize myself. You know, would I do this? You know, am I being a hypocrite here? Okay. Possibly I am. I don't think, I think everyone's a hypocrite, but we should make our way over to the spiritual battleship and get off the cruise ship. All right. Yeah. All right. So for lack of better words, if it seems like in that cruise ship, the battleship, you're saying if you're going to talk about the work and you're going to tell other people to put in the effort, you need to get your hands dirty. You need to get out there. You need to be willing to do the same and make the same sacrifices. Yes. Are you preaching tomorrow? You should preach that tomorrow um, at, at the service. <laughs> you, you said it so beautifully. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for that. Got to yeah. walk the walk. <laughs> walk the walk. man. Yeah. So just as we're bringing this to a close, um, what would be the process to become a member of your church if people wanted to know? Um, for the process at St. John, I'm going to want to have, I'm going to, you could say, I want to be a member and then you're going to, um, I want to sit down with you. I want to know your story. Um, I don't want to just, it, it's not about quantity. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I want to know that you, you're going to grow, that you're going to be involved, that you're going to be invested. I want to know that you're just not furniture being moved around from church to church. All right. Um, and I want you to know what Methodism, you know, what we believe here, John Wesley. So you're going to have to sit with me and we're going to have have conversations like this. And you're, you're going to have to determine if you're ready and, and want, you know, to be a member of the church. Because being a member of the church, I don't want a body in a pew. I want someone who's fully invested all the way from their, li their lifestyle, 
Okay. Um, well, no, no, no. Let me start off with their belief, way to life, then a way of life. Okay. And that goes all the way down into your wallet. <laughs> you know, you're giving, you're sacrificing. Okay. Um, and I know that sounded really, oh, did he just say, well, yeah, I did. You know, um, you know, the world wants to know what's in your wallet. And so, do, so does Jesus Christ. He wants to know what you're doing with it. And are you investing in eternal giving or not? That's, that's what it's going to, that's what it takes to be a member here at, at St. John. Um, you know, I'm not going to put you through the ringer. I just, I want to know your story. Yeah. You don't want just a blank face. I'm you not. don't, you don't want to look into the crowd and just see strangers yeah i, I want to know that we're going to hurt together we're going to love together you know we're going to we're going to cry together uh we're going to go through life together that's that's saint john that's the saint john that i you know i have a vision for but i'm still praying on whether that's a godly vision for for the future of saint john right now like i said i'm new here and every church should be different from the next in 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 their um part in in god's misio day is what they say at the mission of god okay Okay. Anything else? Uh, I think that's kind of a refreshing answer, especially touching on what do you believe and the way you mm-hmm. work live, that live through that your life. Yeah. yeah, that's very refreshing because a lot of times in especially modern contemporary Christianity, a lot of people don't know what they believe, don't know why they believe, and yeah, don't know scary. the applications. And don't a lot of times it's too big for someone to have that communication, that dialogue. Mm -hmm. And so you saying that shows me you care about your mission, your spirituality and the salvation of others through your savior. Yeah, and you know, um, to just to really quickly add to that, if you're a non-Christian and you're in St. John, I love that. If you if you have questions and concerns and doubts, I love that um, because I think everyone should uh, should have that. You know, maybe you have problems with. Well, wait a second, uh, what is this with the virgin birth? You know, what is this with miracles? You know, it's interesting. You didn't ask questions of miracles. You know what I mean? Um, True. You know, but yeah. that's what my God does. He specializes uh-huh. in miracles, and if my God can't do a miracle. He's he's not my God. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but I, I, I think that we can explain some things we're going to have an explanation for it. And some things we're going to say, I don't know. And I'm the type of pastor that will put, put if, if I know three points of view towards something, I'm going to give you all three points of view and let you decide. I'm not going to tell you what to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and if one of those points of view is, I don't know, I'm going to tell you, I don't know. Um, so, and I think that's, we're so, we live in a day and age of, you can find the answers on your phone, you know, and um, right at your fingertips. But that doesn't mean if it's, it's true. So you should know all angles, all yeah. perspectives. Yeah. And one last little thing. I'm not going to get on a rabbit hole, but surprisingly, me and Bailey with our last interview had a very long discussion on miracles mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. And one thing I remember thinking, I think I said it was, especially given context, just because we know the answer to that miracle now and how it happened doesn't make it any less magnificent. Yeah. I love that. You know, a lot of people say, you know, about 
people like let's say prophecies in the bible and they and then they attach that to when the book was written okay yeah. like yeah well the book must have been written before be, after the temple was destroyed because yeah. <laughs> jesus predicted it that doesn't change the let's say the book was written way after the temple and the the uh, um, people in the gospels knew it and they just wrote it down that doesn't change the fact that jesus said it <laughs> The, the, the date of the book doesn't change the fact that Jesus said it when he was with us, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and, and they kind of get that mixed up a little bit. It's kind of funny to me. You yeah. Know? So, all right. Well, I think that's about it. Um, it's been a good interview. Thank you for... Thank you. Thank you. I've, I've enjoyed this um, greatly. Uh, you know, I can really tell that you, the both of you have really... Th you're thinking, you're on that existential journey, uh, which I encourage everyone to be on. Really, yeah. really do. Yeah, and I, I think it helps to create a dialogue with... Even if there's been a few preachers that have certain theologies or ideas or world perspectives that I don't necessarily agree with, but I think it's healthy to, to have know. that discourse and have that dialogue yeah. and to create something. I respect and it. Yeah. I don't have to agree with it a hundred percent to know that that is what they believe in. Yeah. It's that way better to try and understand what someone believes by asking them what they believe instead of asking someone else what they believe. Yeah. I, I think that's great. Don't speak for that person, right? Let them, yeah. let them believe for themselves. Um, and you know, and we should respectfully respect people on what they believe if they've thought through it. Uh, but we should always be loving. Oh my gosh. Um, what is, you know, if, if anything, yeah. can we just be a little nicer? <laughs> Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. Do you believe in unicorns? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> it's in it. numbers. I love they didn't make the boat. <laughs> Noah's boat. <laughs> they didn't yeah. make it in time. <laughs> um, no, right. what I'm saying is, listen, I might not believe that, but... You know, when yeah. my, my child was a little child, he believed in so many things that I, I was like, wow, that's crazy, man. I still loved him. I still respected him, even though he right. believed in things I didn't believe in. Right. The yeah. love is there. The respect is there. I'm not going to say you're crazy, you know. So. Yeah. And it goes to show that we as humans learn through experience, we through do. life. And if you, the one thing someone has told me that's always stuck the day I stop learning, the day I stop seeking knowledge, yeah. and the day I stop changing is the day I'm in the grave. Yep, a life unexamined, right? A life unexamined. Yeah. But um, perspective matters. Mm -hmm. yeah. Perspective matters. All right, well, I think that's been good. Um, next week we're going to be talking about your service and um, reviewing your chairs, that, that kind of thing. Uh, the architecture, whatever, the service, all that kind of stuff. We'll be talking about it's that. It's going to be week. kind of a trip down memory lane. Yeah, because this is your home church. So it is? Be, yeah. yeah. Um, there's a wonderful, um, I can't, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I don't want the interview to keep on going. You know? Okay, that's fine. You know, so. All right. Well, uh, if you want to get in contact, you can reach us at uh, facingthegatespod at gmail.com or you can follow us on social media at facingthegates. Give us reviews, only five-star reviews, and uh, that's if, it. If you have any comments to me, just hope Bailey sends them because I, I don't have Instagram, Facebook. About, about to get rid I'll, of Twitter. Yeah, I'll so. let you. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll send you stuff. Voice small to Bailey. Yeah, so anyway, that's about it. Thank you guys for listening. It's thank been you for real. Thank you for joining us, Pastor Kennel. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. It's been real. It's been fun. It's been real fun. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>